George Jetson. Remember the Jetsons and their flying car? There's a company called Ziva Aero that is trying to turn that science fiction concept into reality, and they've just unveiled a new design for an electric-powered personal aircraft that looks like a cross between a helicopter and a flying saucer. Ziva's CEO, Stephen Tibbetts, says the contraption should be able to carry a single pilot for as far as 50 miles at speeds of up to 160 miles per hour. But is there any chance that this concept will actually take off? Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, your host for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the place where science and technology intersect with fiction and popular culture. Join me as I chat with Ziva CEO Stephen Tibbetts about his vision for a flying machine that George Jetson would instantly recognize, and maybe even buy. What will future flying machines look like? Lots of companies are working on small electric-powered aircraft that could be used as flying taxis, as cargo carriers, as rapid transports for first responders and law enforcement officials, or as a status symbol for aviation-minded millionaires. One of the more unusual concepts for this type of electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft also known as an EVTOL, is being developed by Ziva Aero, a small startup that's based in Tacoma, Washington. In January, Ziva conducted a flight test for a flying saucer prototype called the Ziva Zero in a farm field south of Seattle. Since then, the design has been updated, and a new prototype called Z2 could be flying as soon as this year. Ziva CEO Stephen Tibbetts thinks this design has a good chance of turning into a commercial product that you might be able to buy and fly sometime within the next few years. It won't come cheap. The anticipated list price is in the neighborhood of $250,000. But if you're a law enforcement agency or a millionaire looking for a not-so-cheap thrill, Ziva's Z2 eVTOL just might be what you're looking for. During my Zoom chat with Tibbetts, I started out by asking him to recap how Ziva got to where it is today. We've been going at it for over four and a half years, and uh, it's been fun. It's uh, challenging. The biggest challenge is, you know, fundraising, which is the hardest job in the world. I don't know if you've ever done it, but it's uh, uh, there's a lot of great memes out there in, in on the Internet about how difficult it is. And some of them just really crack me up because they're so true. Yeah, we've been able to successfully fly our first prototype, the Zero, and we're moving on to what we think solves some of the issues that the Zero has and, and uh, you know, things relating to the stability of the vehicle on the ground and uh, making it even more streamlined. So it does retain the sort of flying saucer shape, but we added the um, appendages, so to speak, for the for motor uh, struts that also serve the purpose of the landing gear. In terms of, of product development, it's it's always about cycles of learning. So we built a thing and we looked at it and we said, this is this is a pretty good thing. It flies. Is this what we want to go to production with? And the answer is no. And so we moved on to uh, solving some of the issues with it, which are the stability on the ground and also the efficiency in hover flight. We've moved the motor pods away from the aircraft so that we can swing bigger props, and bigger props means higher efficiency. 
And so that's we're we're after improved efficiency and improved both stability on the air and the ground. So Right. You did have that test flight, I believe it was in January. And was it looking at the results of that test flight, I assume, and perhaps there were other things that you checked in terms of the testing of the design that led you to make that change. Is that what happens? Is that you look at the test results and decide, okay, this is going to work better if we do this? Ostensibly, yes, that's that's the case. But we also have, there's, you know, practicalities come in and that we are you know, we started, and the reason the vehicle looks the way it does is because we were we were going after the Boeing sponsored GoFly Prize, which is an X Prize that is, is still out there. They're going to continue it into this next year, but the requirements are the entire vehicle has to fit within an eight and a half foot sphere, and that proved to be extraordinarily challenging for us. We we wanted to maximize our lifting surface, so we we made that our our flying wing body roughly eight and a half feet in diameter. But then, you know, within that sphere, how do you situate a landing gear that makes it stable on the ground? And that's obviously a sphere as a ball. It wants to roll. So it's not very, it's not a very stable shape. And we we really had some challenges. So making the conscious decision that, A, we wanted to go into production. We wanted to actually build this thing and get it into people's hands to fly. We're not throwing in the towel on the GoFly prize, but we are also not making it our primary emphasis. I see. So the design that you've switched to may not be as compliant with the GoFly prize requirements as as the original design was, but you've decided that this is the one that can be more easily commercialized and put into reality. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, the the remarkable thing about Ziva really is that we've we've produced a 100 percent full-scale flying for prototype over four and a half years with a budget of seven hundred thousand dollars which you know i'm super proud of that i'm super proud of my team for being able to, to pull that off and i you know looking back on it every gut-wrenching decision was okay this is what we want to build now how can we build it with the budget that we have <laughs> so it's you know all being having a bunch of smart guys that are able to make all those trade-offs um, made it happen what is the time frame that you're looking at for development? Uh, are you planning to do a test flight of this new design? Uh, have you fabricated a prototype yet? What, what's the plan going forward? We have not finished the prototype yet. Uh, we're working on it. We have some quite a bit of CAD and design work to do before we start cutting molds. The components for the uh, the motor pods, which are now also the landing gear, there's a lot of mechanical detail in there. Uh, we want to have a, a very robust landing gear, and it's, it'll probably have some kind of an oleo um, shock absorber in in it. It's basically a, an oil an oil shock absorber um, that's very compact, and uh, it's typically used in in uh, landing gear for aircraft. But yeah, it's you know it's it's got a shock shock absorber, and then there's a lever that actually holds a caster type landing gear. So as soon as we get the CAD finished and are happy with that, we can start uh, producing the tooling or the molds for the the components that we need to make the uh, make the aircraft. And then we are uh, improving their electrical systems and control systems, and and looking at uh, the next revolution of battery technology as well. Time does not stand still, and there's been a lot of battery tech that's improved. 
but it's you know there's also like like in the eVTOL industry there's a lot of smoke and mirrors so you know you have to go figure out what's real what what you can get your hands on increasingly there are are articles that you can you can buy for an extraordinary amount of money uh if you sign up for buying thousands and thousands in the future so we're you know that's it's a tricky thing to navigate but we're we're making some progress there as well in the in the battery tech what do you expect will be the specifications uh how high how long uh what the range is uh what what are you aiming for with this next generation the objective specs are really similar to what we had for the zero which was a um, 160 mile an hour vertical takeoff and landing vehicle with about a 50 mile range what we've improved though is the uh, hover time so we having more efficient propellers allows us to spend more time in hover. I think the zero was limited to just a few minutes in hover before you had to, we had to transition into forward flight. And part of that is, is just energy management. And the other part is, is uh, thermal management. So as you can imagine, and, and, and um, you know, we, we've learned a lot. We've, we've got one of the things that we really pride ourselves in is we've got a full time, uh, real time telemetry system coming out of the machine you know, we're able to record all of that data from all the sensors that we've got and uh, analyze what's going on and making sure we're operating safely in the, in the environment. What do you expect will be the timetable for development? Uh, do you think that uh, the next prototype will be flying uh, in the next few months or does it take longer than that? We're hoping to, to get uh, a prototype flying by the end of the year. That's our goal. Part of that taking a little bit longer also is we it's not just a prototype we want to build the um, you know design for manufacturers so what's called DFM we want to make sure that whatever we're designing and in, in is is building something that we can go to, into production with and um, part of it is learning some of the new uh, manufacturing techniques and making sure that whatever we build is is highly manufacturable because we want to be able to drive the cost down uh, of these vehicles. And have you thought about where you might manufacture or what the scenario might be? I can imagine there might be a scenario where you partner with uh, somebody who uh, is able to manufacture aerospace uh, hardware at scale. Uh, I imagine for some people, uh, they might say, oh, uh, these people just want to be acquired by Boeing or somebody at some point. Yeah, I mean, my my goal, my long long range vision is to be able to um, you know have a pilot line here in the Puget Sound region. You know, we have a wealth of aerospace subcontractors right here in the Puget Sound region that you know service not only Boeing but also Airbus and many other aerospace prime contractors. That's really an advantage for us. And and what I'd like to do is have a pilot line here, and then. Uh, I would be so bold to say that it also could be a site for the future Gigafactory if we're following the Tesla model in terms of being able to set up a factory, design the factory to stamp these things out and and uh, you know make make lots of them. So obviously, where we're looking for partners around the world that want to, to share the vision, that want to do the same thing, but certainly I want to start here in the Pacific Northwest. And in the past, you've talked about applications, for example, for first responders, that if there's some sort of emergency or something where a first responder has to get someplace quickly, they can jump in a Ziva 
eVTOL and uh, get to the scene. Is that still the scenario that you're working with, or do you see other applications for your aircraft? That's that's our primary target, as well as law enforcement. I think there's there's interest, um, and then you know what I what I like to think about is is this goes all the way back to um, the days of um, uh, the cartoon character. Um, well, it flew around in a bucket. What was that guy's Dick Tracy, right? <laughs> so you know, you know, if you look all the way back to Dick Tracy, and then of course there's the Jetsons, and then you know, then there's Blade Runner and Minority Report. A lot of these sci-fi shows had show the law enforcement. The law enforcement typically always has the really cool vehicles initially, right? So the the advantage that the Ziva has over so many of the other eVTOLs that are being proposed out there is that we're very compact. So it makes more sense in my mind to put these vehicles in those applications where you're in more of a confined environment, like in the city. But also if you look at what the Navy is asking for, they're asking for a a small compact aircraft that, that can launch itself and is very, and is very compact. So they want to be able to, you know, store a bunch of these in a container ship, um, somewhere on the ship and then be able to launch them to either go ship to shore or ship to ship and and provide just supply goods and, and uh, not necessarily hauling humans around. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of really interesting applications taking advantage of our uh, compact shape and uh, and capability of of the range and, and and capacity. And what's your current thinking on pricing? Well, we're pricing it at 250,000 and i think that there's you know there's margin in there for us at that price but i also would want to be able to drive it down into into a lower cost point eventually 5 6 7 years from now into the something that's uh, attainable from the consumer so you know you'd have your choice of you can buy a lamborghini or you can buy a ziva so that's the kind of idea there <laughs> what a choice uh, I'm sure people ask you all the time, well, what makes you think that Ziva can do something like this when the big players in the aerospace industry are not really doing it? They're kind of trying, but they haven't fielded anything yet. How can Ziva succeed where Boeing has not yet succeeded? Well, I think I think the big players are are succeeding. There, you know, there's a lot of ongoing work. Um there's a lot of it has to do with just focus. You know, we're we're focused on trying to drive the the technology down into the into the hands of people that just want to fly, and uh, other companies are focused on this urban air mobility, which was prescribed by the uh, the Uber Elevate division that said this is what your machine's going to look like. It has to be a four passenger with one pilot, and it has to be 100% electric, and and so that that requirement to form a sort of standardized urban air taxi has permeated the industry. And, um, and that's what most of the big players are chasing after. I happen to believe that eVTOL technology has wide ranging applications far outside the city. So if you look at the San Juan islands or Norway or the Brazilian rainforest or, or um, Indonesia, you know, there's, there's, massive amounts of this planet that are that are not easily accessible and eVTOL gives us the ability to uh, provide emergency services into areas that just you know it would take you maybe three or four days to get out there with a canoe or something 
So I think that there, there's a lot of really cool, useful applications um, that don't require us to fly these complex machines in the city from the very from day one. So I think that to short answer to your question is it's really a difference in goals and perspective. May I ask what happened to the original Ziva prototype, which uh, looked a lot like a flying disc? I'm, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Well, you know, I mean, honestly, it's it kind of depends on where where we land with this Series A funding we're doing right now. If if uh, if necessary, we'll we'll scavenge parts from it. I would prefer to to preserve it because I'm a little bit nostalgic that way. But uh, you know, if if necessary, we will we will take parts off of it and build build the next prototype. But uh, we we will we want to. The other good reason to keep it together is we're continuing to to test fly and and check things out and uh, you know analyze that as well. So. Well, I have no doubt that the Museum of Flight would love to have it in their collection if, you know, once you make your first billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be great. That's a great museum. I did want to ask about this flying saucer aspect, uh, the reality versus fiction. You already mentioned Dick Tracy and the Jetsons, that this has been a standby of science fiction and our cultural vision of the future for decades. And, and here you are, you're kind of trying to make that a reality. Do you reflect on the science fiction aspect of what you're trying to do? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that it, it helps, you know, it helps me visualize and drive the idea forward. And, you know, I, I, I love all of the tech that's going on. There's a guy named Zapata that has a flying, he had a he had a uh, hoverboard that was made with jet engines, and now he's got this thing that looks like a go kart with jet engines. And so he's basically doing the same thing we are. The only thing is he's he's using a bunch of small jet engines that are extraordinarily loud. So I think that the one thing that that eVTOL gets us is the ability to fly and fly quietly. So um, you know we're not the only one out there. There are other people that are flying. Um, a lot of them, though, are open air. Like there is a company called Jetson out of Sweden, and they have a, a thing that reminds me of the old, old Honda Odyssey go-kart, but instead of wheels, it's got propellers. Um, and there's a couple companies that have similar similar uh, vehicle configurations. But you're you're out in the open. You're in the weather. You're basically in an open, open roll cage. And uh, one of the things that drove the design of the Zero was that we wanted the pilot to be uh, enclosed and for for two really important reasons one is aerodynamics the human body is super draggy it's very it's not an aerodynamic thing at all and the second is i don't know if you've ever ridden a motorcycle in the rain or not but um you know we since we live in washington state it's not something we you know we we wanted the pilot to be well protected because uh it 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 stings and it i can't imagine going 100 miles an hour in the air and uh, getting hit by rain or hail or whatever. So, mm -hmm. One of the standard questions that people ask about technology is, where's my flying car? Why haven't flying cars taken off, so to speak? Yeah, you know, I can I hearken back to uh, about 2003 when I got my pilot's license and bought a Cessna 172. And my dream was to 
fly and then and ride the last mile, put a folding mountain bike in the back seat. And my dream was sort of shattered because all the little airports that I knew about as a kid were have vanished between Seattle and Portland. There's like 300 airports that are gone. And what, so that's really what got me thinking about it. In fact, I wrote a grant proposal to NASA in 2005 on EV to, EV tall technology. So long story short, uh, the reason is flying cars require a runway. So flying cars would be okay if they're vertical, but the problem is all of the added weight of the t- the tires and and you know suspension and brakes and everything. It's just it's just not practical. So my utopia is to walk, fly, walk. What I call walk, fly, walk, and that means you can walk to your vehicle, you can fly to to near where you your destination is, and you can walk to your destination. And then you you eliminate the having to get in a in a wheeled vehicle at all. It's a big goal. I realize that we're never going to get rid of cars and trucks, but I think we can sort of minimize our use of them uh, because they they pollute in so many ways. Are there particular designs of flying vehicles that you think are possible that haven't been tried yet? Or are there designs that you wish could be possible? Uh, I'd love to hear what your speculation is about the the future of flight. I think that, you know, it it really revolves around the energy. I think that you you can see there's a couple of fantastic websites um, out there that, that track all of the different amazing vehicles that people are imagining and building. Some of them are building some of them are just uh you know pretty renderings but the you know the human imagination is is fantastic it's a fantastic computer and uh, there's kind of there's almost no limit <laughs> really the limiting factor right now though is energy so i l- i look forward to the day where there's a you know bread box size uh nano nuclear reactor that's got unlimited it's an unlimited power source and then the sky's the limit I mean, you know, Lilium's got a really sexy looking uh, EV tall that uses uh, electric uh, jet engines, which, you know, we looked at that too. And um, the the issue that we had with them is that they're horribly inefficient compared to just a single open propeller. And um, that's why we went with open propeller. But if, if, if energy was not a limiting factor, there's all kinds of things you can do to have different configurations and have uh, small electric jet engines and things like that. I think you mentioned Minority Report and and some of the more recent science fiction visions of uh, transportation in the future. Is that your favorite concept for a future flying vehicle, or do you see other things in science fiction shows that you think, yeah, that that looks pretty cool, that looks about right? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, my fear is is on the other side of that, which is uh, you know, there's also, you know, RoboCop and Terminator and and things that that, you know, we we humans tend to like to weaponize things maybe before we should. So, you know, my concern is that we've got these flying robots that that are uh are heavily weaponized. So that's that's something that that is is on the horizon at some point. Is there anything else that you wanted to get across? Yeah, the, I mean, the you know, I really appreciate your your angle in the science fiction connection. But I, I, you know, one of the things that I need to emphasize is that this is no longer science fiction. 
I don't know if you saw the 60 Minutes did a piece a couple months ago about EV technology, and they did a pretty good job. So I think that it's becoming mainstream, and the analysts are really getting involved in predicting. You know, Morgan Stanley's predicting a nine trillion dollar industry by 2050. So, you know, I think that it's it's happening, and it's happening very fast. So it's not just science fiction. It's not just science fiction. I'd love to hear what you think flying machines might look like in a hundred years. What what will we be using in the year twenty one twenty two? Yeah, I think that. It's going to be wild. I think that uh, there are things that are very inspiring, uh, not only in science fiction, but things going on. The ultimate goal, I think, for the next next 20 years really is to combine uh, the EV tall technology with high speed, you know, cross country travel. Like everybody wants a, a business jet that can, you know, land and take off vertically. And that's, you know, there's actually some Air Force work going on in that area. They call it high-speed eVTOL. And um, companies are working on that um, as we speak. So that's, I think that's the next big phase is to get to a point where you've got a machine that that can land and take off virtually anywhere, but can also go 300 plus miles an hour and and get you to your destination very quickly. Yeah, that sounds like a cool vision, and I I hope that uh, Ziva is uh, part of making that vision a reality. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being with us today. Yes, thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Stephen Tibbetts for talking with me about the science and the fiction that surrounds the subject of flying cars. For more about Ziva and the state of the eVTOL market, plus Stephen's recommendation for really far-out science fiction, check out my blog item on CosmicLog.com. I also want to thank James Emley for his rendition of the fiction science theme music, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to the Fiction Science Podcast and feel free to give us a stellar rating on your favorite podcast channel. And so, until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.